I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Okay, good afternoon. Um, As Marco said, we're continuing on in our series um, in John and that mark we started two weeks ago and what this series is all about as we read through the book of John is literally just a few hours over um, uh, the evening um, of the, um, the Thursday before Good Friday um, and then leading on from that into Jesus' um, trial and then his execution so there's a lot of information packed in here um, Jesus is not doing a very long farewell or goodbye statement. Um, What he's wanted to do is to actually really be explaining to his disciples what is about to happen, so that as they go through the trauma of what they're about to experience, that they know, and particularly as they reflect upon that later, as to why this all had to happen. Put it in context. um, Can you just click it on? That's brilliant, thank you. Um, This was the scene. So they were still in the upper room. Um, as you'll have alluded from the, the verses, uh, unlike the way that we sit round table, which they normally would have done in Jewish society, they, uh, for this special occasion they had adopted this sort of Greek style of sitting, so where they were lying down on cushions. Um, and this is why um, uh, it describes how um, James, lying next to, to, to Jesus, was able just to lean over and to have a quiet conversation with him. Um, so this, as we, as we read last time around, is just after the washing of the disciples' feet, um, which Jesus has just done before this, and then he leads on to this passage that we've just read um, this evening. So this dialogue that we're reading about in the book of John was not Jesus doing a really long goodbye to his disciples. Um, what he was wanting to do is actually to prepare them for what was about to come next. Um, and it's a little bit like um, a general talking to his troops um, before a big battle or before the next thing that's going to happen 
And he was explaining to them what was about to come, what was about to take place, so they would understand this. And also what he was doing was preparing them that beyond um, the cross, beyond the resurrection, that there was a new job that he had for them, that he was going to send them out to actually proclaim this good news to the whole of the world. In the second verse that we read this, this evening, it said this, Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. What Jesus was saying to the disciples was that this was what your new job was going to be. I am going to send you out as apostles, as my messengers, to go and to proclaim to the world the good news of who I am and of what I can do to actually save. For us, um, as, as Christians here, we have been given that same calling from Jesus to actually go and to proclaim this good news to the world around us. In Matthew 28, so at the very end of, um, of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus writes these, or says these very famous words. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So for us as a people, for us as um, KCC, we have been um, given this calling to actually go and to proclaim this message. And what Jesus says in this passage is, as we go, as people accept this message, as they accept us, they accept Jesus, and they accept the one that sent Jesus, the Heavenly Father, that he accepts um, who he is. So for us as a church, we want to reach out to this town as Mark already has prayed about. We want to bring the good news of this message to people around us. We want to demonstrate God's love and God's um, uh, what God has done into their lives. But we want to go beyond that. We want to do that to our nation. And we want to ultimately do that to the whole of the world, to um, all of the earth. So for this, um, we will want to work in partnership. So last week we had the Stokers from Peru who came and spoke. And as a church, while we may not be going out um, around the whole world, some of us may be called to do that, and we want to support and encourage people who, who do that or who go out nationally, but we will want to actually support those who are engaged in that work as we can get behind them to actually do that. But also for us as individuals, um, we want to take this message to our neighbours, um, uh, demonstrating God's love to them, um, just over the garden fence or the garden hedge, as these, these two ladies down here are, in our workplaces, in our families, um, because there may be many in our wider extended families who as yet do not know uh, Jesus, that we want to actually um, share the good news with them. In our schools and colleges, that we actually bring that good news to people around us there, wherever God has put us, that we want to bring this message to actually talk to people and to to share that with them, to share God's love with them. After he had said this, Jesus um, was troubled in his spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples had absolutely no idea about what was about to happen. Um, they were 
completely flabbergasted by, um, by what was actually being said by Jesus. That somebody, one of their group, who they had lived with for the last three years, who had seen the fantastic miracles that Jesus had done, had heard his teaching, who had experienced all the good things that God was doing, should actually do something like this. This was completely beyond um, their experience and their thinking. For Jesus, this was not something that he took lightly. He was troubled in his spirit. This was not something that was easy for him to accept or to take on board. And as God um, loves us and cares for us, he desires to have relationship with us. And it actually grieves him, it grieves his Holy Spirit whenever we choose to go against what he, his love and his grace and the goodness that he's done for us. This is not something that he's impartial to or is ambivalent about. He is grieved by that. He really cares about that. And for the disciples, they were just completely unaware of what was about to happen. But what Jesus wanted to tell them is that this was not a surprise to God. This was not something that God was unaware of. He was aware of what was going to happen. And again, the prophecy, uh, the prophecy that Jesus quotes in the very first verse at the beginning of this chapter that we've read speaks about what is going to happen here. Speaks about this person coming against Jesus and actually betraying him, one of his own, one who actually fellowshiped with him, one who ate with him. So God was not taken by surprise. And for us this evening... And there can be times in our lives whenever we face really hard situations. It may be where people have not just let us down, but actually have done things against us which have betrayed us, that they have actually really um, cut through our lives, where circumstances or things happen that really take us um, completely unawares. And people use the analogy out of the blue, almost like lightning happening in a blue sky. It's just something that has, has been completely something that we're unaware of. One of the things that we need to know this evening is that God knows about those things. Um, he cares about them. He knows about them. These are not things that are, take God by surprise. In Isaiah, we read these words. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no one else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my conscience shall stand and I will do all in my pleasure. So God knows. God knows what's coming. God knows that things um, that um, he isn't taken by surprise. But also what we need to know as well and we need to hear is that even in those circumstances that we face which are really difficult, that are things that really cut us to the core, that God is with us in those things. And this, this verse that sometimes we say quite tritely, um, but is actually something that when we're in it and where we're in difficulties that we need to cling on to, is that even those circumstances that are adverse and bad and hard that we have to face in our lives, that if we let him... God can take those circumstances and can actually use them for good in our lives. So this, what was happening to Jesus, this betrayal that he was about to face, was all part of God's plan and God's purpose for our salvation. That we could actually come into relationship with him. That he took that and used that 
to enable us to come to know him and to actually be with him. He changed that awful situation and he brought good out of that. He brought good out of that. And for us this evening, as we face difficult situations, as we hold up and pray for others who face difficult situations, we can hold tight that our God is a God that can turn those things round and actually can bring out good even out of bad situations. So what happens next? The disciples are really flabbergasted about what's happening. And Peter, being Peter, wants to know what's going on. And that's just the character of this guy. He, I mean, he doesn't let it lie. He wants to know what's going on here. Who is this person that's going to do this thing? So he says to his mate John, John, can you just ask Jesus who actually is the one that's going to betray me? And so that's what, um, that's what John does. But John doesn't describe himself um, um, as, um, uh, just as John. He actually describes himself as what? The disciple that Jesus loved. Okay? So, this is, we're going to just explore this a little bit. So, was John being big-headed? Because it was John that was writing this. Was he saying, Jesus actually loved me more than all the rest of them? It's a little bit like sometimes children in our household, um, particularly whenever they're younger, asking the question, do you love me more than the rest? Um, does that ever happen in anyone's house? Did that happen as, as you were growing up? It's, you know, who's the most loved person here? Um, so was it John being big-headed said, I was the one that Jesus actually loved the most? Um, was this Jesus showing favoritism towards John and saying, okay, this is my special, special disciple? Um, and the answer to those questions is, I don't think so. I think that rather this was a nickname that John took for himself. Um, so John, as we read, um, particularly John's letters, um, so First uh, John, he was a guy that was so blown away by the fact that God loved him and that Jesus loved him that he said, okay, I know so much that Jesus loves me that I'm going to take on that name, that I am the disciple that Jesus loved. But this evening, for each one of us, we are the disciple that Jesus loves as well. And it's a little bit like sunshine on water. Um, as you look at that, as you stand on the shoreline, you think that the sunlight is ending at you. Is that right? Is that, is that the way you see it? But somebody stood over where, a couple of miles over here, they'll see the sunlight shining on them as well, won't they? And way over here, they'll see the sunlight shining on them as well, and they'll think, okay, that, that's, that's shining on me. And the same way, for each one of us, God's love for us actually shines in us no matter where we are and he loves each one of us individually and he, we, each one of us here who follow and love him, we are disciples that he loves. And we need to retake that on board in our lives. We need to get blown away by that, that Jesus loves us, that God loves us so much um, and that his love actually shines into our lives. So John knew this and he expressed this that I'm the disciple that, God, that, that Jesus loved but each one of us are as well so as he did this Jesus actually identified the person that was going to portray him as Judas there was a couple of Judases in the, in the group of disciples 
This Judas was um, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So we're going to call him Judas Iscariot. Um, they didn't really have surnames in those days, but um, we'll identify him as that. So that's what he became known as. He was someone that was called at the same time as the other disciples. So he wasn't an afterthought. He wasn't someone that was left to the end. He was called at the same time as the other disciples whenever Jesus started his public ministry. He was there for three years experiencing all the miracles. So he was there when the, the, the widow's son from Nain got raised to life. He was there when Lazarus got raised to life. He was there for blind Bartimaeus. He was there for the crippled in the synagogue actually being um, restored. He was there for all the teaching that Jesus gave. He was there with the thousands of other people that were there at the feeding of the 5,000. He was there for all those things. He was part of all of that. He was the treasurer, as we read in the passage tonight. And also, he was a thief. Um, so this is something that John, he didn't, John didn't write this gospel straight afterwards. He wrote this gospel um, probably a few decades after these events. So John had had a lot of time to reflect and to ponder what had happened. At the time, this was a complete surprise. But as John went back, there were some things he thought, actually, there was something not quite right there, and there was something not quite right there that may have given them a little bit of an inkling of things not working. So one of the things that John says is that he actually he used to help himself to the money that was in the, the money bag. Judas was so near to Jesus, but yet he was so far away from actually knowing who Jesus was and from knowing what this was all about. He had seen it, he had experienced it, he had heard it. And for some people today, we oftentimes will hear this, where people say, if only I was there whenever the miracles happened. If I was only there whenever Jesus was preaching on the Beatitudes. If I was only there whenever he walked on the water, I could really believe this, I could really go for this. And what we see in Judas is actually somebody who was there, who had experienced those things, but yet had not actually committed his life to the Lord. So we still need God's Holy Spirit to be at work in each one of our lives and in the lives of those people around us to actually bring people to faith, to help them to take that step. And again, this encourages us to pray, encourages us to actually seek God's Holy Spirit to be at work in the lives of those that we love and care for. He was saying all the right stuff. He was with the right group of people. He was going to the right places. He seemed sound. That's a, probably a Northern Irish word. And forgive me if it isn't. He basically, he seemed okay. He seemed as if he was, he was a spot on guy. Yet Jesus knew that despite all of those things, Judas's heart was not right with him. In his heart, he was not right with where God was. And, and who Jesus was and what he meant. And so, this evening, we need to think about what is in our hearts. We need to be, the scriptures, as we'll look at in a moment or two, warn us about actually guarding our hearts. Because that's where so much of this stuff happens. It's not by the, the things that we necessarily do, the place that we go. It's about what is actually going on within our hearts. Is this still alive? Okay. Um, so, Jesus can see what is going on in each one of our hearts tonight. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what's going on within us. And in our hearts, all sorts of stuff can happen. 
That is not brilliant. And again, Jesus challenged the people of his day about the, what they stored up in their hearts, and whether that was lust, whether that was anger, whether that was greed. All of these things need to be exposed and need to be made right. And what he calls us to do, and what he called the people of his day to do, is to give all of our hearts over to him. That we should love the Lord your God with all of our hearts. Not just with part of it, not just with a little bit, but that we go after God with all of our hearts, that we want to follow him, that we want to, to do what is right within him. God desires our hearts. And again, there's that lovely picture in Revelation, again written to Christians, about Jesus knocking at the door of their hearts and saying, please, I want to, to come in, I want to fellowship with you, I want to dwell in your hearts, I want to have that close, intimate relationship with you. That's what he calls us into. The creator of all things wants to have that intimate, loving relationship with each one of us. He wants us to, us to open our hearts to him. So why did, G- why did Judas decide to do this? The honest answer is we don't know. Um, he, we can speculate, which we'll do a little bit off for a second or two, but we don't actually know. The name Iscariot is very closely associated with the name for assassin. Um, and so one of the thinking is that possibly Judas's family background, there were actually um, people in there that were terrorists um, who were actively going against the Roman occupation that was happening in Palestine at this time. Um, and so some people think that possibly what um, Judas, along with many other people in his day, were expecting of the Messiah was a strong man, some political leader to come in and militarily take over from the Romans and re-establish Israel as being a superpower like it was in the time of King David and King Solomon. But this Jesus was completely different to that. So this was a complete misconception by a lot of the Jewish people of their day as to what Jesus was going to be like and what he was going to do. And this Jesus was completely different to that. This Messiah was completely different to that because they had got it wrong. They had misinterpreted what the Bible was teaching about what what the Messiah was going to be like. And for us today, we can get all sorts of wrong ideas about who God is, what he is like, what his calling upon our life is. And sometimes we can get very confused and that can disillusion us as to um, us following him. So obviously Judas had become disillusioned. He had become someone who began to doubt as to who Jesus actually was and whether this was actually the person that he should have given his life to following and actually given up on all the other things that he had done. But there's no record of any conversations that were had between Judas and Jesus about this issue. There's no record of any of the other disciples even being remotely aware that Judas was having these sorts of doubts and these sorts of things were going on in his life. And so one of the things that I want to challenge us about this evening is that for each one of us there will be times in our lives when we face doubts, when there are things that rock our faith, There's things that we find difficult. There may be temptations that come along. There may be things that are really difficult for us to face. What we need to do is be people that actually, um, as we'll see in a second, that we need to pray about those things. We need to let God know about those things. 
And these are things that will not shock God because God knows our hearts. He knows what's going on inside us. But also where we need the help and the support of our brothers and sisters to come alongside us, to pray for us and help us to refocus on who God is and on what he has done for us. So this evening, if you are someone who is having doubts, are there things that are happening in your life that have just knocked you sideways and knocked you um, into a place of doubt of the love and the goodness of God, what I would like you to do before you leave this place tonight is to come and see me or Marco, and we would love to pray with you. There's other people um, within, the, within the group as well who would love to pray with you, who would love to spend time talking with you, and just to help you to come through that. But please do not go away and keep on holding these things going on. You need to be released from those things, and you need to experience again the love and goodness of God in your life. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, it talks these things. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So for us tonight, yes, we need to be thankful for what God has done for us. We need to remind ourselves day by day about the goodness of God, about his love for us, his care for us, the way that he has blessed our lives in so many, many ways. And we need to actively um, do that. And we need to actually come to him and to cast all these situations that we may be facing, all these doubts that we may be facing, upon him to let that peace of God come into our lives that will actually guard our hearts and guard our minds from doing these things, from moving away from him. So Jesus dips the bread and gives it to Judas. This was not some sort of weird thing. This was not some sort of slap down. This was normally something that was done and given to the most privileged guest that was actually there. And the indication is that that Judas was actually sat beside Jesus, that he was reclined beside Jesus for him to, to be able to do this. So Judas was not being ostracized. Judas was not actually being left out whenever Jesus was washing the disciples' feet to show them how much he loved them. Judas was there having that done. Jesus again was demonstrating his love and his care for Judas. Knowing what was in this guy's heart, knowing what he already had decided to do, Jesus did not give up on him. Jesus still wanted to show him his love and his care, even with what was going on in this guy's heart, and even with what he was deciding to do. But for Judas, this final act of love actually made up his mind that this was not what he wanted. He did not want to receive that love from Jesus anymore. He didn't want to receive his love and his care. He didn't want to receive his salvation. He wanted to to, to actually go his own way. And so it says that the devil entered into him and whenever he went out, it was night. This contrasts so much from how the Gospel of John opens up where it talks about Jesus being the light of the world. But Judas chose darkness over the light with all the consequences that that meant for his life personally. And again, John doesn't record what happened to Judas. But we read in in Luke, both in Luke's Gospel and also in the book of Acts, 
um, and also in Matthew about what happened to Judas. This just totally destroyed his life. This was the ending where he ended his life, not recommitting his life to, um, to Jesus, as we will discover about Peter next week, but where he actually destroyed his life. This choice of darkness over light completely wrecked and shipwrecked and Judas's life. In the beginning was the Word. We read at the beginning of John's Gospel. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So from this, dark as this was that Judas had went out into, dark as some of the situations that we will face in our lives are, Jesus, the light of the world, has overcome the darkness. It cannot win. He has dealt with it. He has defeated it on the cross. He has had victory over it in rising from the dead. He is able to conquer these things in our lives, this darkness that we face in our lives, these difficult situations. He has overcome those things. And then we read, moving on down through that initial passage in John. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world was not, did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, or of human decisions, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so as we come to Jesus, as we accept his love for us, we become his children, we are adopted into his family, we become part of his family, and he calls us to come and to fellowship with him, to open our hearts to him, to give our hearts wholly over to him, and to give to him. So tonight... As, we, um, as I finish, if there are things there that you are thinking, in my life at the moment, there are struggles that I have, there are things that I'm going through in circumstances, or there are doubts that I have, please do not leave tonight without seeing someone to get prayed for um, and um, to receive the help that God wants to give to you. Tonight, if you're in that place where you haven't yet experienced that new life in Jesus... Um, this coming um, to know him for the first time and receiving him into your heart and into your life that you have not responded to his love and to his goodness and care for you again please come and talk to us we'd love to talk to you more about that about how you can receive God's love in your life how you can become one of his family okay let's pray and then we'll finish dear heavenly father we just thank you for your word and we thank you for the way that you love us and care for us. And we just pray that for each one of us this evening that you would help us um, to know what it is to cast all our anxieties and all our worries and all our doubts onto you. That we would know what it is to give thanks to you for all the good things that you've done. And that we would know your peace um, coming into our lives guarding our hearts and our minds to keep us close to you. Thank you, Lord.